Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, about a month ago, I got a text from my friend David Limbaugh, who is also on the board of crossexamine.org, and he said, you need to see this brand new movie called Nefarious. And I said, what's it about? And he said, trust me, you just need to see it. This is a movie with a Christian worldview. It's not a Christian movie. If I say Christian movie, you're going to run to the to the hills going, I don't want to see another cheesy Christian movie. Trust me, this is not a cheesy Christian movie. This is a movie with a Christian worldview, and there's a lot of powerful dialogue, a lot of powerful scenes that you can bring even a non-Christian to and have a discussion afterwards that may go on for hours. The movie is called Nefarious, and I just met a new friend. His name is Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E. Mark it down, Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E. Those of you that follow The Blaze uh, on uh, the internet, you probably know Steve because he does two hours of radio every day with The Blaze. And a number of years ago, he wrote a novel called Nefarious. Well, actually, I'm gonna bring Steve in right now. Steve. Welcome to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Frank, thank you for having me, man. Honored. Thank you very much. Well, it's my pleasure. I did see a, 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 a the pre-screening. And I, here's the problem we're going to have, Steve, because we want people to see this movie, but we don't want to spoil it for people. So um, let's start with the novel, first of all. You wrote a novel, what, a decade or so ago? What, it was what was my, it about? It was my very first trip to Washington, D.C. I got... Uh -huh inspired to write a sequel to the screw tape letters and you know the rules of sequel writing the the threats got to get even bigger frank those are the rules uh -huh. okay and so uh -huh. as lewis wrote back in world war ii about being tempted as individuals by the darkness let's talk about an entire culture being tempted and then taken down by it and of course what better place to be inspired for such a tale than on your first visit to washington dc the inspiration is is abounds for such a story <laughs> And right. uh, I, I wrote a book uh, called A Nefarious Plot that was published in early 2016 in which a, a high lord of hell named Lord Nefarious, who was tasked by the devil with the destruction and takedown of the United States, writes about why he was given that task, how we, how we performed it, whom he performed it with and through. I mean, real names, real movements, real events are mentioned in this book. He connects dots. And then he puts it all in the book to kind of rub our noses in it. And the fact that we won't believe it, the fact we'll think it's uh, conspiracy theory, silly, we'll ignore it. That's how he'll convince his master, the devil, that we're so far gone that the plan now is irrevocably true and they can move on now to the next phase of their master plan. And uh, my, my show was really young at that time. It was actually on a radio network that no longer exists. And so we only mm -hmm. sold a few million or a few thousand copies. And I thought, uh -huh. okay, you know, maybe that was a cool, cool idea. I'm going to move on with the rest of my life. And about six months later, I get a call from a guy that I work with now, but I didn't know him at the time, named Glenn Beck. And he said, yep. he said, hey, a mutual friend of ours gave me your book, man, and it blew my mind. I want to have you on my show. And 
And I really hesitated about having 10 million people hear about my book, Frank. And then after much thought and consternation, I decided it was a good idea. <laughs> That's okay. right. Yeah. And uh, uh, he had me on his show and, and driving around Burbank, California that day, listening to this conversation were the guys that had written God's Not Dead. And they were mm -hmm. just about to do their first full feature film called Unplanned, which was the adaptation of Abby Johnson's memoir about her time at Planned Parenthood. And they were right. they were looking for something on real spiritual warfare that could be their next movie. And they heard me talking about this book. They went and got it, uh, read it all in a day, contacted me later a few days ago. And they're like, hey, we want to buy the movie rights to your book. And um, the rest, as they say, is history. Now, there has been... I mean, there's an article today in the Christian Post about all the spiritual warfare associated with this film. It has been, uh, Frank, I mean, absolutely unbelievable. And anybody who knows me knows, you know, I, I come from a more reformed intellectual theological background. This is not my predisposition to say God spoke to me every five minutes. OK, right, right. you know, but I can't deny the things that I have seen the last few years either. It's been uh, it's really been an exercise in spiritual warfare. That's what's on the screen when you go see the movie in theaters now. And that's what happened off the screen to bring that movie to people as well. All right. Give us, uh, without giving away the plot of the movie, let's just talk about what you've experienced since you tried to get this to the big screen, because there are some things that have happened in your life and the life of other people mm -hmm. involved in making this movie that seem to be beyond coincidence. Some events that have occurred that appear to be, uh, well, let's just say difficult. What, what What's happened recently? Or nefarious, Steve? for that matter. Yes, or nefarious. So, yeah. the, I mean, this has gone on really almost from the beginning of production. But just, just since the movie, we, we just since we had our red carpet premiere in Dallas in early April, here's what's happened. Um, that weekend I began, after we had the premiere on April 4th, that weekend I began to have a rash and swelling near, on my, near my armpit and my left upper torso and in typical guy fashion, I just let it go. Plus my wife tore her meniscus. She's in the hospital for that. Then she has an allergic reaction to the morphine they gave her. So she goes back to the hospital for that. And I'm like, I'll, I'll deal with this, you know, probably deodorant rash on my arm mm -hmm. later, you know? Uh, by, by the time we get to Monday morning, it has grown to a, to two golf ball size cyst. It is in searing pain. Um, they have to literally carve these things out of my arm. Uh, it turns out it's actually MRSA, a very deadly bacteria. And if I had waited another 12 hours, it probably would have been in my bloodstream. And that's when it can potentially kill you. It attaches itself to organs and everything else. So that was an excruciatingly painful outpatient procedure. I was able after a day off to go back to work. Um, and then I was uh, good to go. I was given all the clearance. I had done multiple follow-up appointments for a week. Everything looked great. looked like it was gone. And, um, uh, on Friday, this past Friday, I flew out to New York to do a moms for Liberty event. And in the middle of the night, uh, my wife called 911 because my, my fevers began to spike out of nowhere to 104 degrees. And so we're fearful now the MRSA actually wasn't gone. It went into my bloodstream. Thankfully, it turned out to be just a severe allergic reaction to what is a very aggressive class of antibiotics. But, you know, they didn't you don't know that you don't know that it's not mm -hmm. in my bloodstream. So I had to keep taking these antibiotics for 12 hours waiting for the culture to come back that I'm allergic to, which are just driving mm -hmm. up my fevers. It's just but but that experience, I had one of the most incredible divine encounters I've had in my 20 years as a Christian that night in that hospital and so I felt, you know, that that happened for a reason and I was at peace with it. And uh, in fact, I wouldn't mind going back to that moment. That's how incredible it was. 
And then an hour after I got discharged from the hospital the next Saturday, uh, one of our producers, Chris Jones, texted me and says, you won't believe this. I was putting my infant son, Judah, in his car seat in the back. Car came out of nowhere, SUV out of nowhere in the parking lot, missed me by inches, took the back door of my car off, totaled my car. The next day, one of our other producers, John Sullivan, texted me, you aren't going to believe this. My car was parked out in front of my house. Uh, a, a, drive, a nursing student fell asleep at the wheel, came out of nowhere, totaled my car. That, 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 by the way, those are the eighth. Now we've had now eight car accidents uh, eight. associated with our crew since we started doing this movie. Eight of them in the last three years. We, we faced a strike in a right to work state. No one can still explain to me how that went down. Okay. Um, COVID pneumonia, right as we were beginning shooting the film originally, COVID pneumonia hit both of my uh, directors and they were in their 60s uh, and put them in the hospital. We didn't think they were going to make it out alive. I mean, this has been nuts. When we when we were doing our, our red carpet premiere, we brought Father Carlos Martins in from The Exorcist Files who endorsed our movie. And he was, he was just going to give the invocation. We bring him into the suite where we're doing the behind the scenes stuff for the DVD, Frank, and we're going to do a feature with him. And he's like, guys, and you've, have you had a lot of technical issues here today? And we're like, we've had every technical issue. That's why we're like four hours behind. He goes, I'm not kidding you. I hear a woman's voice like chanting something against what's going on, against the, against the technology and stuff in this suite. I mean, it was nuts. He did like a rebuke right there in the suite. This has been like three years of spiritual warfare, Frank. It's been insane. We are talking to Steve Dace, the new movie is called Nefarious. It's still in theaters. It's been in theaters for about two weeks. You need to see it. And there's a lot more going on, as you can see, much more with Steve right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. I guarantee you will never hear this on NPR. We're talking about spiritual warfare today, which is brilliantly uh, illustrated in a brand new movie called Nefarious that you're going to want to see. I had the privilege of seeing a pre-screen of it, and uh, it's a very powerful movie. I don't like to call it a Christian movie. I like to call it a movie with a Christian worldview. And uh, when you see it, you'll realize why. And you can take anyone to this movie. This is not uh, this is not something that's going to embarrass you. It's going to be something that's going to make you think. And it's going to demonstrate, I think, when you watch the movie, that so much of what is spoken about and seen in this film is actually going on in real life. And uh, the man who wrote the original book, Nefarious, Steve Dace, is with me to talk about it. And uh, Steve, continue what you had said <laughs> just before the break. You, you, you're at a red carpet event for the opening of this movie. I think you said it opened on May, I'm sorry, on April 14th. And uh, I put an endorsement on it. I know a lot of people did put an endorsement on it. Uh, what happened with this this priest that came? You said he he's, had something to do with 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 exorcisms. Go ahead, c so, continue with what you were saying. So Father Carlos Martins is one of the most uh, highest ranking exorcists in all of the Vatican. And now you and I are not Catholics, no, but no, we're yeah, no, but, but we're okay. Yeah, but you invited him. Yeah, but my writers and directors are, mm -hmm. and 
Um, and, and they sent him the film when we got done with it to get his thoughts on it. And he thought it was the most realistic portrayal of demonic possession he'd ever seen. Really? And so he, he agreed uh, to come and give an invocation for the film. We were going to include him in one of our behind the scenes features that we were filming for the DVD later this year. And when he gets into the suite, he's like, have you guys had a lot of technical issues? And we had been having technical issues all day trying to get this filmed. He goes, it's because I hear, I hear like a, a strange woman chanting here in, 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 in behind this wall, something against what you guys are doing here, against the technology, what you're doing here. And he ended up doing like a, a rebuke of demonic spirits, like right there in the room um, we were, where we were filming our, our, our behind the scenes features. And it's been, Frank, it's, it's been incredible. But I want to tell your audience, though, what's uh-huh. also been incredible is, is this has been waged two ways. I mean, the doors got us open to get this movie made. How we found key crew members that were really good at this genre and knew what they were doing. Um, I went and saw it in the theater again just this afternoon before I came and talked to you. And I still marvel at the quality of the production itself, the sound editing, the cinematography. God brought those people to us. We didn't know how to find those people. They literally came to us out of the blue and said, hey, something just told me to email you. Hey, something just told me you guys are working on a special project. I want to be a part of it. And so when we a lot of times talk about spiritual, first of all, we don't talk about it like at all. Uh, but, right. but when we do, we often talk about it from the p- perspective of what the darkness is doing to us. On the other hand, Frank, these last few years and watching what God has done to, to he, we could turn all this around. God also healed our directors of COVID. God also healed me of MRSA. God also, uh, you know, God said, hey, thank you to uh, the devil. John uh, Sullivan and Chris Jones are getting brand new cars now after you totaled their vehicles. You know, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can flip this all around and you can right, see right. that what the, what, just as Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil God used for good. All things work together for the glory of God and those called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen to that. Now, uh, the main actor who plays the man who is nefarious, uh, he is brilliant mm-hmm. in this. Uh, I can't remember his name. John Patrick name? Flannery is his name. Yes. All right. Wh- uh, what, what other films has he been in that some of our uh, viewers or listeners might recognize him from? I mean, there's a, there, have... there was a period of time in the early 2000s when he was a major star. Maybe you remember Boondock Saints, Powder, okay. movies like that. Now, his first acting role was Young Indiana Jones on network television. So right. he's got more than 30 films to his credit. He's been around a long time. And you're right. He is devastatingly powerful in this movie. Yeah. And then you have uh, sort of his, uh, I, w- I don't want to say nemesis, but his uh, his his counterpart in this movie, who is a, uh, a psychologist that has to come in and evaluate this guy. Who is he? I don't think I've seen him before. He kind of looks like Jackson Brown to me. That's that's from another era. Most yeah, but I know, know you're Jackson talking about. Brown. Yeah, yeah. You're talking uh, about is... that Jordan Belfi is his name. He's got over okay. 75 uh, network and cable TV credits. His first major role is he was uh, uh, he was Artie's uh, Jeremy Piven's character. His nemesis, his rival sports agent on Entourage for several seasons. That was his first starring role. Okay. And and he is really good as our yeah. atheist psychiatrist who comes in very smug, very confident that uh, he is the people we've been waiting for. He's got, he, his, his, he's, he's unlocked all the secrets of the universe at university and is, and is, and is very well aware of what the real answers to life's biggest questions are. And over the course of this movie, his worldview gets absolutely wrecked by this encounter with this demon. That's right. And 
basically what happens, we're not going to tell you the ultimate, but the the man that plays the person who is demon possessed basically tells this psychologist that he's going to commit three murders mm-hmm. before the day's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go, how's this going to happen? Well, you just got to go to the movie and you got to watch it and bring somebody who maybe you've been witnessing to or bring some Christians, but bring some non-Christians too. And and then go out and, uh, and have dinner and talk about yep. it. Uh, because, or uh, better yet, what you may want to do is if you're in a small group, small group at church or a small group uh, of guys or gals or couples or whatever, take them to the movie. Instead of meeting that week, go to the movie and then talk about it afterwards and see what you thought resonated, maybe what didn't resonate. I mean, just just talk about it because there's a lot going on. How, how, um, how, uh, congruent was the movie script to the book, Steve? Well, it's it's hard to have to make a movie where a demon, a 200 page polemic of a demon dunking on you into a movie. Right. How do we can't have a guy right. just ranting for 90 minutes? And so, yeah, we took the preface of my book, the only part of it that I wrote in my own voice. And I, it was a joke at the time, Frank. I said, you know, I've got I'm not I have no intention of telling you how I came into possession of this demonic manuscript. Who knows? Maybe one day if we ever sell the movie rights, that's how we'll convert this into a film. It was a joke at the time, not knowing that we actually would do that. And that's exactly what we did. This this movie shows you, as you know, having seen it, the origin of the demonic manuscript. Where did the book A Nefarious Plot come from? And that's the story in our book uh, or in our movie. And um, it takes place. We filmed it in a live prison, not not just an actual, a live prison, like still murderers and drug dealers are still mm-hmm. sitting in Granite State Prison where we filmed as we speak. And there's a murderer on death row uh, that claims he cannot be executed that night because he was demonically possessed. And everybody thinks he's going for an insanity plea, but he's telling the truth. And, right. that, and that's what our psychiatrist, atheist uh, psychiatrist, because unless you're hiring Jordan Peterson, there's no other kind. Uh, and so that's that's what our atheist psychiatrist has, has to come to grips with by the end of the movie is, was he telling the truth or not? And you'll see why he was specifically requested. You'll see why the demon wants to tell him what the real source of his worldview really is, that he's not that smart um, that he has no idea what the true origins of many of his beliefs that he thinks are so enlightened and progressive really come from. But to tell you more than that would spoil the movie, so I won't. Yeah, we don't want to do that. We don't want to spoil the movie. We do want to say, though, issues like euthanasia mm-hmm. and abortion uh, come into it. Uh, also, uh, you can see that people will deny the truth to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's part of it as well. Uh, in fact, as you, as many of our listeners will know, when we go to a college campus and present the evidence that Christianity is true, I normally ask people who are not Christians, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And the honest people will say no. No. And the yeah. reason they'll say no is because it's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. Exactly. They want to protect their agenda. Yep. They want to protect what they want to do in life. And they think God is going to get in the way of their happiness. They have a goal they want, and they don't want to give up that goal. That goal is happiness. That goal is not holiness. That goal is not, I want to bow my knee. That goal is, I got my agenda, and if you're in my way, God, so much for you. And that actually comes out here in the movie, yes. too, in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that is a little bit surprising. You'll, you'll see it. It's extremely well acted, and it's extremely well written, 
how long did it take to pull all this together, Steve? We began storyboarding the first time Gavin Newsom opened California up the first time. He then re- he later closed it again. But the first uh-huh. time he reopened it was right before Father's Day in June of 2020. And so I flew out to Burbank right then. And we spent that week doing the storyboarding of the film. And about 90% of what we storyboarded that day is what is in the movie that you see in theaters now. And then from okay. there, our script writers and directors, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Consulman, just took our storyboards, Frank, and, and they wrote a dynamite script, man. On a scale of one to 10, it's a 15. I mean, so mm-hmm. many memorable lines, so well-written. Um, and then we began shooting the film in August of 21. And then that's when they had COVID and went into the hospital for a couple of months. And we were able to get the film shot. We started the Monday after Thanksgiving and we were able to get it done by, well, mostly done before Christmas, took a break and then came back and finished in in January of 2022. And then we had a a year long ordeal, nearly a year long ordeal to finish post-production as well. Lots of challenges and obstacles there. I mean, the enemy has tried to stop this movie the whole time. And I think it's because I I don't believe the enemy wants to be subtle. I, I, I don't believe that he wants to be anonymous. I don't think you say to God, I will be like the most high. And then you're like, but I'm going to keep in the shadows from little old humanity. I think what the enemy wants to control, Frank, is his branding, his narrative. He desperately wants to be adulated, elevated, adored, worshipped. So I don't think he wants to operate in the shadows at all. I just don't think he wants the truth of who he really is and what he's really about to come out. He wants to control mm. the message. And I think when you look at films like ours that uh, that take the wolf skin off uh, or the sheepskin off the wolf and show the claws and the fangs of the destroyer, I think that's what he's against is telling the truth about who he is, not talking about who he is. I mean, we've got more Satan in media right now than we've ever had before, ever, everywhere you turn. But it's all stuff that turns him into like a, you know, a confused anti-hero like the Lucifer TV show or even exalts him like the recent Sam Smith episode on the Grammys. It's very rare that we're going to actually tell the truth about who the enemy is. This film does that. Yeah, Satan comes as an angel of light, as Paul says. And if he didn't come as an angel of light, you wouldn't at all be attracted. Correct. Uh, you know, the biggest problem with deception is you don't know you're being deceived. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, in our culture, he uses deception by sugarcoating evil with great sounding words like choice and equality and love. And well, who couldn't be for those things or reproductive justice, right? These are all things that sound so good. But in reality, it's just a sugarcoating of evil. We're going to come back. Steve, you got enough time for another segment? I do. You bet. All right, because I, I want to ask you about the naysayers who say, oh, Steve, this was all just coincidence. This this isn't real spiritual warfare. Come on. Everything happens by natural law, Steve. <laughs> Much more with, with Steve Dace right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist back in just two minutes. There certainly has been something nefarious going on with the making of the movie Nefarious. And even after the movie was released, there's some nefarious things going on. Sicknesses, accidents, uh, technical difficulties, uh, a lot happening. But I got to ask the man who thought this up from the beginning, Steve, isn't this just a matter of coincidence? I mean, how can you really say this is these are there are demons involved here? I mean, how, how do you even say that with any confidence? When I was growing up, uh, Frank, one of my favorite shows was The X-Files. I loved the show. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you had this dynamic between Mulder and Scully. And Scully, even though she was the Catholic, she was the Christian on the show, uh, she was a naturalist. There had to be a natural explanation for every supernatural phenomenon that Mulder was investigating. And as we get further and further into the show, you realized I'm, at this point, Occam's razor just has to have me believe there are little green men because what the assumptions <laughs> that I have to, the hoops and assumptions I have to jump through to accept Scully's naturalistic explanation for everything here requires more assumptions than the, the, the magic bullet theory at Dealey Plaza, Frank. Okay. And, right. and so okay. I just can't handle that. I, I, and I think if our crew, we had to operate this movie on a skeleton crew uh, because they tried to shut us down with a strike in a right to work state. We ended up with half the crew that we thought we were going to have. And so for there to be eight car accidents out of that skeleton crew, a movie of this size in three years, just forget all the illnesses, the MRSA, all the everything else. And just look at the eight car accidents for this crew of this size and that short amount of span. I don't have enough faith to be a coincidence, a coincidence, <laughs> whatever it's called, uh, uh -huh. Frank. I don't have enough faith to do that. I mean, after a while... You know, Occam's razor, you, t you I mean, you tell me how many coincidence applies before Occam's razor starts to apply. Well, obviously, there's a spiritual world. Even if you're not a Christian, as soon as you open your mouth to say something, you're expressing something that has gotten here in a metaphysical way. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's something beyond the physical. Because if your mind, or if you're, if you're just a brain and you don't have a mind, you're just a molecular machine then every thought you have is caused by the laws of physics and you have no warrant therefore then to believe right. what you're saying right. but you do believe what you're saying and you're thinking so your very ability to think shows that the world is not just made of molecules that there is a spiritual realm out there and when you see so many of these things opposing a movie that talks about satan and talks about demons you have to surmise there is something more than just the physical going on here there's something more than than just natural law happening. Now, I, I heard you talking about it at the on the Eric Metaxas podcast, uh, Steve. Our friend Eric had you on recently. Uh, you were at Strong Memorial Hospital. I know that hospital because I went to the University of Rochester. Mm. In fact, I used to leave live across the street from Strong. I used to walk by it on my on the way to campus wow. all the time. Small world. That was yeah. That was about, that was about forty years ago, and. Uh, you live in Iowa, but you went there a week after you had these MRSA things cut out. And uh, you're, you're, you're in this makeshift room, and you've you got to wait for the culture to come back to see if your MRSA has gone into the bloodstream. And you decide you're going to get up and walk. Describe what happens after that. I've just got, you know, scorching fevers. They're so hot. I can't sleep. I'm beyond, I'm beyond uncomfortable. And I just had this overwhelming conviction, Frank, to get up, rise, and walk. And so I've got IVs in both arms. And I go to my nurse. I'm like, hey, can we just disconnect these for a few minutes just so I can take a walk? And they're always really afraid of blood clots when you're that sedentary for that long. So they're like, you bet. If you're strong enough, go ahead. Just if you start to feel dizzy, sit down, and we'll keep an eye on you. Um, and so I could only walk this corridor that was C-shaped, not even a complete circle. So I could walk to the end, then walk back, walk to the end, walk back. Frank, I, I ended up walking that corridor for three hours. I started around nine o'clock that night. I walked it till midnight. And I am not, you know, anybody that knows me, David will tell you in 10 years, he's never heard me say, well, the Lord spoke to me and told me this. I've never said it one time. It's just not. I've never said that in my life either. I, I, it's, yeah. it's just not yeah. part of my native theological mm -hmm. preference, mm -hmm. belief, bias, etc. But 
other than my own um, conversion, which happened at a Promise Keepers event 20 years ago, this is the most directly direct. I've, I mean, I, I often will get very strong convictions that I'm clear that this is what the Lord wants me to do. But this was the most direct and intimate divine encounter I've ever had. And and there were two things I, I remember hearing very distinctly. One was, um, Stephen, I need I need apostles, not assassins. Mm-hmm. And let us don't, in other words, don't don't forget that many of the people that we are opposing are lost. They're not all wolves. Some of them are wolves, and we have to confront wolves. As Augustine said, there are many sheep within, but many more or many many wolves within, but many more sheep without. Okay, we have to confront the wolves. But that a lot of these people are sheep. They are they're trapped in darkness. The cell they don't know that the cell door is open. They at any point can get up and walk out. But they don't feel like they're worthy of that light. They don't they don't feel like they can trust that light, and so they're afraid of it. So they retreat further and further into the darkness. And the other thing was that a sense that I was frankly getting discouraged about the culture, that maybe I was about to give up. I was about to get blackpilled. Um, and many other people like me were feeling the same. And to don't give up, keep doing good. I mean, there is no master plan. It's not any more complex than that. Just with the time that God has gives you, the gifts and talents that he's handed you, the platform and relationships that you are blessed with to just keep doing good. Don't stop. You're, if you're trying to win your spouse and it feels like it won't go anywhere, keep doing good. If you have a child that is wayward, prodigal, thinks they're struggling with their gender or sexual identity and won't listen to you, keep doing good. Don't give up. He said that a sense that we're kind of poised maybe to create almost a self-fulfilling prophecy and to give up here. And those were the those were the two big things that I just intimately felt the Lord speaking to me about in that three hour, those three hours that I walked. The nurses never stopped me. They never checked my vitals. It was like, I can't even explain it to you, Frank. It was like there was literally nothing else in the, my, my, I mean, I love my wife and kids dearly. It was like they did not exist. It was like there was nothing in the world except this presence that I felt as I did this three hour, over nine kilometer walk in this hospital corridor and my fever broke. Um, I had really bad pain in one of my arms where one of the IVs were, it was starting to bruise and everything else. The pain just went away. I mean, I've got rashes and stuff up and down my legs. I'm in no shape to just get up suddenly and start walking for three hours, nearly 10 kilometers. But uh, it's it was amazing. And it was the mo- it was the most intimate encounter with the Lord I've ever had. Now, what has changed about your outlook now because of that? Is, do you have a, a new resolve to just yes. keep doing what's yes. right yes. and leave the results to God? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, my battery okay. now feels like it, you know, I feel like it's one of those scenes in Superman where I'm beaten down by the kryptonite and I take my last bit of flight power up to the yellow sun to get re-energized. That's a little bit how I feel right now, <laughs> you know? Well, well, tell our listeners uh, what you do every day at The Blaze and and what kind of, uh, what kind of show you do. You do two hours a day. Mm-hmm. So what do you what are you typically talking about when you when you do one of these shows? I, in fact, I, I heard uh, part of a show you did. Apparently, it was an evergreen show. You were talking about the top Bible verses or yeah. the most inspirational Bible verses or something. And I'm so glad you didn't you didn't fall into the Jeremiah twenty nine eleven trap. Oh gosh, so I rail against that. I, I rail against that every time this time of year. How many homeschool yeah. and Christian school kids are going to put that verse on their graduation cards? Yeah. Yes. Have you read actually read Jeremiah's twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, and thirty? Have you read those chapters? That's right. 
Yes. That's right. but, it's uh, not a promise to you. Yeah. Come on. What are you doing? Yeah, and, and but by anyway, the way, that so, promise comes at a pretty steep price. So I'm not sure any right. of us want to pay that. But uh, That's right. But, Let's all be taken to Iraq right now, and we'll get that promise 70 years from yeah, now. But, okay? Until until then, you're you're in captivity. But but what do you do every day on the blaze? I, I try to bring, you know, early on, I our mission of our show is to try to bring a biblical worldview back into the mainstream, that we can... We can take current event topics, issues of the day, and analyze them through the filter of a biblical worldview. I, I really wanted my when we started this show, my goal was I wanted to do for a biblical worldview with my gifts what Rush did for for conservatism with his. He he took conservatism and brought it into the mainstream. It was pop culture chic. It was okay to be out uh, and proud in culture and in media as a conservative. And you know, we have we have locked the lion up. As, a, as everyone from Augustine to Spurgeon has famously said, simply let the lion out of its cage. It will defend itself just fine. We need to let the lion out of the cage back in the mainstream again, Frank. It, it, we have the basic instructions before leaving Earth. We have God's ultimate love letter. We have the user's manual to this starship called Earth. Um, and it is time, uh, you know, we're, we're the generation of Hilkiah the priest brings the law to Josiah and says, hey, man, I was cleaning out the temple and found this old dusty book. Looks like it's Deuteronomy or something. I don't know how to pronounce it. Anybody know what this is, right? <laughs> and 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 that sparked the last great revival of the of the old Jewish kingdom. Um, and so I I'm, I want to use whatever talents, gifts, and platforms God has given me. I I try to use that to bring a biblical worldview mainstream and show we don't have to be cheesy, hokey. We can be real. We can be transparent. Um, and it it will our show will look and sound like a lot of the other highly produced shows that you'll see. In conservative media, it'll just be the only one that explicitly is done through a biblical worldview, not just here and there, but literally every single day, all two hours. So where is it broadcast? Uh, they, well, The Blaze, of course, has its uh, posh headquarters in Dallas. Mm -hmm. I live in Des Moines, Iowa. They built me a nice studio not far from my house, and so I do it from there. But no, where does it go? I mean, is it just online oh, it's or for, on radio stations? They, uh, you can get the podcast version on iTunes, okay. Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, everywhere. You can subscribe. Just look for my name, Steve Dace or Steve Dace Show, D-E-A-C-E. -E. And then uh, it's uh, everyday live over at Blaze TV for subscribers. And then we post that on Rumble and YouTube later as well. Okay, so people can, can and it, what, 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 would, what would your website be that has all the information on it? Where would, where would people go? I would go to blazetv.com slash dace, blazetv.com slash dace, or just search for me on iTunes. Okay. And so two hours a day, you're dealing with the issues of the day, but you're you're overtly just showing the, the Christian worldview yeah. and applying the Christian worldview to everything that's going on. Correct. Yep. All I, right. Yep. I think that's great. I, I think we could have done this all along. And I think this is the viewpoint that um, is no longer welcome into the mainstream. And it's ironically the one we need to hear from more than any other viewpoint. And so. That's my goal is to is to try to use the the platform and talents and abilities God has given me to be, um, you know, to be a, a a plumb line for bringing this back into the mainstream again. Great. Uh, before we go, tell people the website for the movie Nefarious. Sure. Just go to whoisnefarious.com. That's whoisnefarious.com. We'll probably have a couple more weeks in theaters, and then we will be streaming, and you'll get more information on where you'll be able to get access to that and watch that. Mm -hmm at whoisnefarious.com. Whoisnefarious.com, ladies and gentlemen. You want to see the movie this weekend, you can see it. It's still in theaters, and you ought to do it. 
Also, you could just Google Steve's name, Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E. You'll find him out there. Steve, thanks for making a great a great movie and doing a great show every every day. Thank you, Frank. Same to you, brother. God bless you. I really appreciate All it. All right. That's Steve Dace. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to we're gonna get to some of your email questions right after the break. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two. Well, it was great having Steve Dace on to talk about the movie Nefarious. Go see it. And if you really want to study uh, spiritual warfare, check out Ephesians chapter 6 and also 2 Corinthians 10.5. But I want to talk about uh, another topic here in just a minute. Before I do, there are a number of events coming up I want you to know about. Uh, April 30th, that's this Sunday, I'll be at Freedom Life Church in Christiana, Pennsylvania. May 1st, we're doing Digging Up the Bible on YouTube. We're talking about the archaeological discoveries related to the Exodus, and there are plenty of them, uh, contrary to common knowledge uh, or the, the myths that people put out there. They say, There's no evidence for the Exodus. No, there is. On May 1st, tune into our YouTube channel at 7.30 p.m., and we'll get into it. May 2nd, Concord Christian Academy, Concord, New Hampshire. May 3rd, University of New Hampshire in Durham, uh, New Hampshire. It'll also be live streamed. May 6th, the Unshaken Conference with the great Elisa Childers and the great Natasha Crane. I'll be joining them at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California. Go to unshakenconference.com for more. The next day, the great Jack Hibbs, one of my favorite pastors, he and I will be doing a joint sermon at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills on May 7th. Then May 13th, Digging Up the Bible. Again, we'll be live streamed. We record that uh, right up here uh, north of where I live uh, in Cornelius, North Carolina. It's a men's Bible study. Go to our website to get details. May 18th, Summit out there in Manitou Springs, uh, Colorado. Then May 20th and 21st, Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, New Jersey. My old stomping grounds. Forget about it. And then don't forget of or don't forget about the Pastors Summit, the TPUSA Faith Pastors Summit in Nashville, Tennessee, May 23rd to 25th. I'll be there on May 24th uh, and speaking there. And a number of speakers will be there. Just go to TPUSA Faith. Look for Pastors Summit. That, of course, is led by my friend Charlie Kirk. And if you're a pastor or somebody who's interested in what pastors do, you may want to check out the Pastor Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, now, I want to get into some of the questions that you have sent in, and we're going to do that. We're going to start by a question that has been set in by Cody, who asked a question related to a YouTube short. And uh, his question is, would you clarify your belief on sexual orientation and expand on the following YouTube short. It's it's a short, it's a one minute video, so let's just play it. Here it is, here's the audio. Do you find homosexuality to be a sin? Doesn't matter what I find. Oh, okay, then I mean, what the do Bible, you believe the Bible says? Homosexual behavior is a sin, not homosexual feelings. We all have attractions we ought not act on, right? There's a difference between attractions and actions. I have attractions I ought not act on. So, so to be attracted to uh, someone of the same sex, if you act on that, it's a sin. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. 
You say, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. No, he talked about all sexual immorality because whenever he used the phrase sexual immorality, that meant any sexual activity outside of the marriage of a man and a woman. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, rape, incest, whatever it is. Now that short, which again, I think shorts can only be a minute, uh, has 11 million views. I think that short is the top video on our YouTube channel. And so Cody writes in and he says this, boiling this all down, it seems as though you are saying that homosexuality is not a sin until you get physical with it. In line with my last email with you, trying to learn about logical fallacies, I think this could be one. He says, it is, it is not a sin if we covet but don't steal. Is it not a sin if we lust after a woman but don't act on it? Or if we think about aborting babies but not support or perform abortions? He says, I'm not being combative. I just want to better work through this topic. Okay, it's a good question, Cody. And one of the problems with question and answers on the college campus, and by the way, that particular Q&A came from the University of Michigan probably eight or nine years ago. One of the problems is, is we can't cover every base or every nuance in a short Q&A, and especially not a one-minute short that we, we only have 60 seconds to abbreviate an already short answer into a shorter answer. Uh, but I appreciate the question. And actually, what I, I, I'm going to do, it, it seems that what you're saying here is based on what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, where he said, but I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And you seem to be saying that if a person has a homosexual orientation and is attracted to someone else of the same sex, that would be lusting after that person. And it may be... Uh, it may be what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. And actually, this was addressed on Dr. William Lane Craig's podcast back on August 23rd, uh, 2021. And if you go to reasonablefaith.org, you can see a transcript of this. And here is how Dr. Craig responded, I think, accurately to this kind of charge, that if someone has an attraction, if somebody has an, ori or an, or an orientation, it automatically makes them guilty because of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28. But if you, whoever looks at a woman with lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Is that really true? And here's what Dr. William Lane Craig says. He says, I think this is the most ridiculous use of Matthew 5, 28 that I've ever heard. That verse addresses a heterosexual orientation and sexual lust. And if you try to say that it condemns homosexual desires, then you've got to say it also condemns a heterosexual orientation and desire, which is absurd because God created man and woman and ordained marriage for them. What it's condemning is an improper use or indulgence of our passions and desires. And it would certainly be true that in the same way that a heterosexual man should try to keep his thought life pure and avoid fantasizing or looking at images that promote these sorts of passions, so a homosexual person ought to do the same thing. He ought to strive to keep his thought life pure, not to fantasize and to do everything that he can keep his heart or everything he can do to keep his heart correct. But the verse has nothing to do with a person's sexual orientation. 
And at that point, Kevin Harris, who co-hosts the podcast, he's sort of the interviewer for the podcast with uh, Bill, says this. This one really bothers me because obviously there's a difference between God-given sexual desire and lust, which is viewing someone as an object. Now, if you have sexual desire, that means your plumbing works, perhaps. But it's what you do with it. It is... Or he, he, he says, it is your uh, responsibility not to look at another person for your selfish use or view them as an object. That's the difference between mere sexual desire that's healthy and lust. Am I right about that? And Dr. Craig says, well, absolutely. Yes, there is a difference between attractions and actions. And you can't say that if you have an attraction to another woman, or another man, whoever you are, that that necessarily is what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about lust, not the attraction. He's talking about taking the attraction to a a point of lust. Yes, we're not supposed to lust after people who are not our, our opposite sex spouses. So the point, going back to Cody's question, is if you're assuming that Jesus is saying that if you have the attraction, that's a sin, that's not the case. Now, when Cody, you say we covet, but don't steal. No, we're not supposed to covet. But having a desire for something isn't necessarily coveting. If you move from a desire to fantasizing about having someone or something, then that would be coveting. If you go from just finding someone attractive to lusting after that person, that, that's the difference. That's going from attraction to lust. And obviously going further into action would also be a sin. So I think that's the answer to that question, Cody. Um, Jesus is not talking about having a desire because a desire for another woman, if you're a man, is a good thing. God put that on your heart. But if you then go further and try and kindle that desire and bring it to the point of lust, then that would be a sin. So keep that in mind. Uh, and you may want to check out that podcast that Bill did, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig did, uh, back on August 23rd. 2021. You can also go to his website and search it. All right. Uh, there is a, another question that came in from Diana. Diana wrote in and said, I'd like to comment on your recent podcast, Why Do Christians Die Too Young? The man said he wanted scriptural reasons. Well, here's a scriptural reason, Isaiah 57 verses 1 and 2. What is Isaiah 57 verses 1 and 2? And what's the context? Well, Isaiah, or God, is scolding the Israelites for uh, their sins. And in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1, he says, The righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. In other words, one possible reason that the good die young, the good meaning not the perfect, because none of us are perfect, but the the righteous, the people who are Christians, it could be to spare them from further evil. In fact, verse 2 of Isaiah 57 says, those who walk uprightly enter into peace and they find rest as they lie in death. 
So that's one possible scriptural reason. We talked about others in the podcast where the gentleman wrote in and said, uh, my friend or my uncle or my father can't get over the fact that um, someone he loved, his son died young and he was a Christian. Why? Why would God allow that? Well, this might be one reason. And we also pointed out that there's a ripple effect out there and we don't always see the reason. All right. All right. We'll get to some more of your questions in a future podcast. We're going to have Dr. Erwin Lutzer on next week. You don't want to miss that. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Check out our website for a lot of events coming up. Go to crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see it there. And I'll see you here next week. God bless.